Father, this evening we once again come to you. We just want to thank you, Lord, for every opportunity you give us to come in your name, to come into your presence, to come together as your family. Continue to speak to us, Lord. All we pray, you never stop speaking to us, O Lord. That always we will have that ears that hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. That we may hear, we may be prepared. We will not, we will be aware of what's happening, Lord, in thy kingdom. More than what's happening in this world. Speak to us this evening too, Lord. Teach us. We just surrender our body, our mind, our soul, our spirit into thy hands. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Keep in mind uh, Sunday's message. We continue kind of from where we stopped, but in a different tangent. We've been we've been looking at uh, different aspects of salvation. We saw salvation as a judicial act, an act of God where God declares you or me or anyone as righteous. It's an act of grace. It's not an act of mercy alone. It's an act of grace. But mercy comes before, just putting in, just recapping what we have learned. Mercy is connected with, yes, mercy is connected with repentance. Because where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. Repentance is our response to the need for forgiveness. If we don't have a repentant heart, then we are declaring that we are righteous. Okay? We don't have a repentant heart. I had this question asked. Scripture says that God may grant them repentance. So even in that, are we set that God doesn't grant some people repentance and some people repentance? No, it's not that way. That would be a very fatalistic view of salvation. No, but remember, the very, very consciousness in us to repent is our soul's Acknowledge meant that I need forgiveness. Okay, so that precedes always the act of God declaring somebody righteousness. So mercy and grace, they come like side by side. But first mercy, because it's connected with repentance and forgiveness. Grace, on the other hand, is a supernatural work of God where God goes beyond forgiving you and me, but he imputes my sin upon Jesus and his righteousness upon me. And that's how I, you, we are saved. Okay, But like we said, that's only the beginning. That's the only the beginning of our salvation. In John chapter 14, verse 6 to 7, we are looking at it in another, another, yeah. We don't need 7. Uh, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so... This is also where Jesus is talking about salvation, where he's not showing us the way, he is the way. He's not showing us the truth, he is the truth. He's not giving us life, he is the life. Okay, so look at the various I am statements in the gospel according to John and always see salvation in that light. So when we get on to that way where Jesus himself is the way, it is the beginning of our salvation. In First Peter 1.9, scripture talks about 
1 and verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Okay? There is an end. It is the salvation of our soul. By faith, okay? Through the grace comes, through faith, okay? Through grace, by faith we are saved. That's the beginning. But there is an end of our faith where our soul is completely or totally saved. Okay. Remember, we have looked at the saved person being a three-parted big person. Having a spirit which is born again and the soul and the body. But what we need to realize is when Christ comes, when Christ comes, the Christ in us should be able to present to the Christ who comes. Okay, sounds strange, right? The Christ in us should be able to present to the Christ who comes of a body also blameless. Blameless. There is no salvation for the body. Okay, there is no salvation for the body. But the body should be blameless at the point of him coming. Therefore, take good care of your body. Because you need a healthy body to serve God. But don't worship your body. It's a total waste of money and time if you worship your body because it is modern day idolatry. And the reason the body will not be saved and the body has to be presented blameless is because this entity we call the flesh which causes all the trouble for us, that flesh dwells in this body. So this body will not be saved, but this body will be destroyed. And we will get a new body, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We don't want to go to heaven with this body, we will not want to go to heaven with this body. Okay? Because if the flesh is not destroyed, flesh will not live in the presence of God. It cannot live in the presence of God. Okay, so in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 15, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Remember this, this, this flesh, it dwells in the body. Okay, it dwells in the body. So that's why we have to be, we don't take body because there were a lot of heresies in the first age when Christianity began which continued and one of the heretical teachings within the church was that this body is not going to be saved therefore it does not matter what you do with this body. Okay, That was an incredibly powerful heretical teaching which really fed the flesh. Okay, it doesn't matter what you do with this body because the body is not going to be saved. Because we are going to receive a new body in which there is no flesh. That part in you and me that causes us, tempts us to sin. So like I said, when Christ comes, First Thessalonians chapter 5.23 says, When Christ comes, now God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, spirit, soul, we understand. But we forget there is an entity called body also that need to be presented blameless before God. Why? 
Because in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, When we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. You will not be standing before God in that old body, but you will be giving an account of everything that was done in the old body. Okay? When rapture takes place or when we are resurrected from the dead, I and you receive a new body. But when we stand before Jesus for judgment, I am not giving him an account of what I did with the new body. I am giving him an account of what I did with the old body. Okay, So be careful. But like we have said, we just recap a little and go into today's message. But the, the key part of everything is the second person in the middle, which is called the soul. And we also know the, the, the soul has three parts. What is the three parts of the soul, Hepsiva? Because you are staring at me. Soul has three parts. What are they? Anybody among the children? Huh? Will, yes. And then your mind and then your emotions. Okay? The soul has three parts. Emotions, will and your mind. What the devil actually does the devil is very smart. He, he's, he's got enormous patience and he's a, he's, he's a patient worker. What he does slowly through the world, using the world system, is to affect our emotions to weaken our will. Okay? Weaken our will. Okay. We don't realize the end of a will that is hostile to God is rebellion. But rebellion doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. It's a process. Disobedience or rebellion occurs because emotions have been manipulated and flesh is fed. And the will is weakened. And then even if the mind knows right and wrong, it actually doesn't have much control because the flesh and the will have taken over. The emotions and the will have taken over. And the fallen man, you need to realize, okay, the fallen man and the born again new person, the old man in him, in the born again, is very stubborn in his self-will. One of the reasons people actually fight salvation and finally when they accept God's mercy and after that the constant struggle is that self-will because Ephesians 2, uh, 7 and 8 talks about salvation. It says, by grace you have been saved, 8 and 9, through faith that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, We are saved. That's the first act of salvation, grace through faith. And scripture says there is the righteousness of God which is by faith to faith to faith. Which meaning from the beginning of my salvation to the end of my salvation, there is nothing for me to boast. Nothing for me or you to boast. And the problem is, that is very problematic for the old man. The old man would love to boast about his works. 
But the new man knows every work which is accepted by God is done by faith. And if it is done by faith, then the power is that of God. The body is mine. The power is God. The word is God. So there is nothing for the old man to both. So the old man resists this progress every inch of the way. Every inch of the way, our spiritual progress is actually fought by that old man. And the problem is, you see that right from the beginning. You will see Adam and Eve falling. But what you see interesting is that their stubbornness, stubbornness, I said stubbornness, in their denial to accept responsibility. And they actually want God to accept them with their fig leaves. Let me ask you this question. Why did they cover themselves with fig leaves? For whom? That's not for the animals. They never hid from the animals. They were never hiding from each other. The fig leaves was for God. Yet when God came in, they ran. They ran. Yet they were stubborn that they refused to accept responsibility for their actions. And the problem is, this is the same thing that happens with all of us constantly, daily. Like, listen to what God says. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's take us out and I'll put me there. If I say I have no sin, I deceive myself. The question is this. Is there any point in your life where you can actually say I have no sin? Yes. If your mirror in which you look is yourself or somebody else. Unless you are looking at God. Now you know the context in which it is being talked about. It is talking about me and I, you in comparison with God. God is light. In him there is no darkness. So looking at God, can anyone say I have no sin? Can anyone say? Can I say after 35 years of salvation, 25 years of ministry, I have no sin? No, I cannot say. A man who has no awareness of the holiness and the righteousness of God is also not aware of his own sin. We are aware more of the darkness in us only when we keep approaching towards the light. That's why Hebrews 4.16, even though it says, come boldly, confidently, 4.16, Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace. Right? Come boldly. But the question is, how many go? How many really go? It's not just come to me. It's saying going to the very presence of God, to the throne room of grace. How many go? Why is that we don't go? Because of this one term put over there. Obtain mercy. To obtain mercy, I have to first acknowledge there is sin in me. And the old man is not willing. Old man is not willing. And therefore you see, we constantly hit a roadblock. Though we heard on Sunday, the incredible power of God available to those who... That's that's here. That's this. It's called grace. By grace you are saved. It's the grace of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet this is the roadblock. Because to accept mercy, I have to accept the fact... That first I have to accept the fact, I have sinned. 
I may not know where I have sinned, but in relation to God, I know I have sinned. So I have to go with this assumption I have sinned and then approach God as a sinner and say, Lord, I need mercy. I also would like to repent. Can you show me where I have come short? You don't go straight to the throne of room of grace and say, give me grace. Do we remember the story of Jesus talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector? The tax collector was going with the approach that I don't need mercy. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. I tithe. I pray. I fast. I do all these things. And then there is another man. A tax, sorry, the Pharisee. The tax collector says he wouldn't even lift his head up. And he says, this is who I am. I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I am. And Jesus asked this question at the end. Who went home justified? Who received grace at the end of the story? See, this is the case inside the garden after they fall. And this is the case outside the garden also in Genesis 4. You will see this is what happens. You have two sons called Cain and Abel. One approached Actually, with good works. Everything that he brought was excellent. It was his good works. Another accept came by faith with blood, saying that I need mercy. And the question is, who was accepted? The guy who came with excellent works? Or the guy who came with, with blood? The thing is this. Only one was accepted. Listen to what God says in Genesis 4-7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Leave the rest. If thou does what is right, won't thou be accepted? The simple question. See, one thing we need to understand about God is, God is not a respecter of persons. It is not that God loves one more than the other. If you look at the church, God loves all of us the same way. If you look at the world, God loves the whole world the same way. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And those who receive the son becomes his family and he loves all of them the same way. He loves all of us the same way. He doesn't love one more than the other. That's why people, he knew Davinci code would be written 2000 years ago. So scripture says he loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Because people want to make this that God loves somebody more than no. Scripture says God is not a respecter. He loves everybody the same way. To the point when it comes to us, God's children. John 17 and verse 23 says... I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you loved me. Unbelievable. Meaning God loves you and me the way he loves Jesus. Okay? Listen carefully, okay? Loving is one thing. God loved Cain and Abel the same way. But God did not accept what they brought the same way. He can accept you or me only in his way. Because he is a respecter of 
truth because God is the truth. He's a respecter of faith because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And he's a respecter of righteousness because righteousness is how he functions. So we know from Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And in John 17, 17, scripture says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Because we looked at earlier, remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God says, I will accept you. I will receive you if you do what is right. Okay, like we, we looked at English, know how to rewrite the sentence like that. If you do what is right, I will accept you. Okay. So if I do right, I will be accepted. In Ephesians 1, 6, scripture says, this is what it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the, how are we accepted? We are only accepted in Christ. Now that's what Jesus is coming and telling us. I am the way. There is only one way from the beginning till the end I can be accepted. It's only God's way. And Christ is the way. Christ is not showing the way. Christ is the way. And the problem is the old, the old stubborn man confuses love and acceptance. Confuses love and acceptance. You see, Cain could have gone and got a lamb. That's all, right? He confuses. Okay, so you love Abel more than me, right? God never said that. God didn't say, I love Abel more than you. God actually loves Cain and more Abel the same way. But he says, I can accept Abel because he came my way. He did things my way. You are doing things which are contradictory to my way. So I love you, but I cannot accept what you have done until you do it my way. So all he had to do was go get a lamb. Instead, he goes and gets his brother. Literally, slang, English. What does he do? He goes out and gets his brother. Now understand this. Listen carefully. Often when we do not do what we ought to do, we may in life end up doing what we were never supposed to do. That a man, he looked at his brother Cain, Abel, and he, and he saw probably his brother killing a lamb, and he must have been horrified, a man, because a man who was not able to kill a lamb, ends up killing his own brother. Man, who couldn't kill a lamb, ends up killing his own brother. There is a way that is right to man. But at the end of it is death. Joseph was one child of Jacob who did the will of the father. His brothers, instead of doing what he did, Hated him for what he got. All that they needed to do what he got was to do what he did. Instead, what did they plot? To kill him. 
Because they were not willing to go the way he went. Understand? This is there right from the beginning, playing in the lives of people. So don't take it lightly because everything is there in the Bible how the old man works. That's what God is saying. If you do what is right, won't you to be accepted? If you do what he did, you will also receive what he got. But they didn't do. So Joseph's brothers will end up trying to murder him, actually sends him off to a living death. David, by faith, faced Goliath. There was nobody to face Goliath. Anybody could have faced Goliath because God is the same. Faith is the same. Only what is different are the people. But when God works through people, the power that comes out is the same, manifested in different ways. Okay? Anybody in Israel could have faced Goliath in faith and the result would have been the same. David used a sling and a stone. Somebody else could have used a spear. Somebody else could have used a bow and arrow. Somebody could have used a sword. But the result would have been the same. Goliath would have been still defeated because he was defeated by the power of God and not by the power of man. Otherwise, every death that came, judgment that came through the hand of God should be in the same way. It is not. Okay? Moses wrote, Rod, the priest who carried the ark, Shamgar's ox goat, Samson's ass bone, Jael's hammer and peg. So many examples in the Bible. It is not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit. So it is God's spirit who does the destruction. But it is man's faith that receives it. The outworking will differ from man to man depending upon what instrument they were good at. Or what was at hand. So, anybody could have killed Goliath. But the fact is that only David believed. So he kills the giant and he receives the applause. Saul wanted what David got, the acceptance but he was not willing to do what David did. Therefore, that spirit of Cain passes. What does he try to do? He tries to kill his brother. Okay. Remember, there are so many brother killers and sister killers around because they want what somebody has got without willing to do what they did. Okay. What they did. That's what leads to jealousy and murder. Because there is nothing different between power and faith. Everybody's faith comes only one way. My faith doesn't come from, oh, you are a pastor, so your faith comes a different way. No, it's the same way. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the... There is no other way. Everybody, faith comes only through one way, that is through hearing and hearing the word of God. And when you believe and God's grace or the power of his Holy Spirit comes, the power is the same. That's why a woman with a hammer and a peg can bring 40 years of peace in Israel. Because it's not she who's bringing peace, it's the Spirit of God who's bringing peace. That's why Moses can lift the rod and separate the Red Sea and Elijah can use his cloak and separate the Red Sea because the power is the same. Okay. Therefore, no man can boast. 
no man can boast. Elijah and Moses, if they're sitting in heaven, you're saying, you used a stick, I used a cloth. They're not talking. That's how we talk. And then the priest will say, you guys use something, we didn't, we just use our feet. Nobody talks such idiocies in heaven because everybody knows this was absolutely the work of God and all we did was believed and obeyed. See, we don't understand these fundamental principles. We will constantly start hating the people who have actually received the acceptance of God only because they believed and obeyed. Only because they believed and obeyed. That's all God says. You believe my, what I tell you and you obey. My power is available to anybody in your particular situation. None of these people, the situations were same. It was different. But the thing is that God worked in all their lives. So when we come to this, the old man and the new man, this is what God says in Romans 12. We know it very well. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world by the transforming, renewing of your mind. Okay, Two things are mentioned over there. One is surrender of the body. Second is the renewing of the mind so that we will start understanding what is the Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Why did God accept Abel? Because what he did was according to the good will of God. He didn't do the pleasing. He didn't do the perfect because his brother did not give him a chance. One act he did was the good will of God and God accepted his act. Now we know this so well, we have memorized it, but let's make it practical. What does it mean in practical terms? Verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. What does it mean in practical terms? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. Okay? We know this very well, especially the babies at the back. They all know it very well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is this? Fruit. It's not a gift. It's a fruit. Now if you look at this fruit, first put over there is love. Okay? Last put over there is self-control. These two are the most important in this fruit. Actually, if you have this and this, You don't have to worry about the rest. They will automatically come and stay. Automatically come and stay. So when it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, God is actually talking about developing the fruit of self-control. Self-control. Developing the gift of the Of self-control. In 2 Timothy verse 1, again God says, God has not given us the spirit of fear and of power and of love and of a a mind that has self-control. 
Sound mind is or self-discipline, different versions will use. Now I want young children, okay, kids sitting over here. Listen carefully. And the parents with small children also, listen. Think of the child you have, the little child or the young ones, rather the little ones. And also think about the born again person in you also, which is a child. Every child that is born is actually born with a stubborn will. And the new born again person also has a stubborn will about the old person. Who is constantly fighting the will of God. A will that is not bent towards God, obeying God, will be always stubborn. Ultimately leading to rebellion. Okay, Listen carefully. I'll read stuff. Listen carefully. A mind that is trained. That's what been what's happening in our church for years and even today. What is happening? The renewing of your mind. You're acquiring information, information, information about God, ways of God, kingdom of God. A mind that is being trained, but the will that is indisciplined is ultimately going nowhere. It is actually dangerous. That's what happens in the church. People receive incredible knowledge about God, but their wills are bent towards self. Doesn't have self-control. The training of a child, your born-again child person inside, or the child you have on your lap, means he or she is taught to do right by constant practice so that the mind and will are bent in the same direction. That's why we tell our children, say sorry, 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 until it becomes reflex action in them that when they know when I do wrong, I need to repent. They don't need a sermon for that. It's part of the way they think. Otherwise, if the mind knows this, but the will is stubborn, it's still not going to work. The making of decisions by a child or a child of God will have less and less chance of being wrong. Chance of being wrong. I will come back to you. Okay, Chance of being wrong when doing right has become a habit. Habit. Okay. When we tell our children, when you get up, make your bed. Every day you do it, after some time, it is just automatic. You don't even realize you're half asleep. Why? Are you thinking? No. Your will has been bent towards that, that you are able to do what are right. It's like if somebody were to poke your eye, your eye automatically closes. It's called reflex action. It's not coming from your head. It's actually coming, they say, from your spine. It's so fast. God says, you can train your will to what is right. To do constantly. 
In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, when God's talking about a righteous child, a born-again child becoming mature, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of what? Use. Over and over have their sense exercised to discern both good and evil. They have over and over and over and over practiced. This is what is right. This is what my will will do. This is what is right. This is what my will will do. So that when you are taken in chains and arrested and put before this this thing, automatically what comes out is what you have trained yourself to do. It's a discipline. It's a practical thing. So what is God saying? First offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is called the fruit of the spirit. It's it's progressive over and over. It develops self-control. Now let me explain to you in terms which kids can understand. What is self-control? Self-control is the will conquering attention. Okay? Now you know in your mind... You should be looking at me and hearing me. Okay. And the fact you are not able to is because your will is weak. But over a period of time, you have taught your will what your mind knows. Nobody has to tell you when you go anywhere in a classroom or in the church, you need to focus, look at the speaker, listen to what he says because you have trained your will. We are teaching you how to focus your will. It is the will conquering attention. It is the appetite being satisfied only when the will allows. This is not a self-help program. This is a God-help program. This is exactly what God taught his own son when he came in the body. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9, scripture says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered a prayers and supplication, vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and he was hurt because of his godly prayer, fear. God says, tells his son, you know what? You're going to be the most disciplined man who ever walked on earth, who will not think evil, talk evil, do evil. If that is going to happen, I'm going to demand a discipline from you that every morning at this hour before the sun rises, you will be waking up, you will be coming, you will be praying, you will be crying out and this is how your each day will progress and if you do not uh, allow your will to be in control, exercise self-control, you're not going to progress and this is what he did and he was heard because of his godly fear and scripture says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And verse 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That's why, because he went through these 30 years of silent training of exercising his mind in the ways of God, and his will bent towards the will of God, when it came for him to go to Jerusalem and die, nobody could stop him. He says, that's where we need to go. That's where we need to go. The cross is my destiny. And I will, I will go. And nobody can stop me. And anybody who stops me, I will leave them. So the first 
Romans 12, 1, when it talks about, and 2 talks about finding the good and the pleasing will of God, there is this part which is connected with self-control, where there is this daily surrender, and practically where you work it out, and then there is this other part, the renewing of the mind. Because the renewing of the mind without self-control is not going to take you ultimately anywhere. And self-control without the renewing of the mind also is not going to take you anywhere in eternity. So this is put side by side. Therefore scripture says, the son was made perfect because his will was subject to the will of his father. Now listen carefully. This is the will conquering the appetite or our desire than the desire conquering the will. That's why I tell you, focus. Okay. One of the interesting things, you, you just don't watch, if you ever watch news and programs on TV, just don't watch the TV. Uh, look around, okay, what's happening. Like, let's say, example, President Trump is having a rally in Ohio or one of these states. He has, every week, he has this huge rally. Thousands of people. Full. Balloons and placards and no, all kinds of the music and shouting and screaming and then he speaks. Okay. When you see so much happening over there, but you will see one set of people, one set of people. Those are his secret service agents. Okay. You, if you watch them, they're not listening to him. They're not listening to him. They are not listening to what all the crowd. Their eyes are always focused on one thing. Is there any danger to him? Just think about how they have been trained. That in the midst of this racket. And everything calling for their attention. They have blocked it all. And all they are looking is. Is there any danger to him? To reach that level. You have to go through intense training and you won't get in there unless you have learned what self-control is. Where it is not your appetite which is determining your will, it's your will that is determining your appetite. No. Why these things are important? Because this is important connected to your race in eternity. Even in this world, successful people in any field have one thing in common. They have exercised self-control to a great level. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 and 25, this is what Paul says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. What does temperate mean? Exercises self-control in all things. Every successful athlete, every successful businessman, every successful entrepreneur, everybody successful in any field has a high level of self-control because they were able to bring their desires under the will. Otherwise, they will never progress. But he says, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. That is why this emptiness in their lives when they have reached the top. It's a dead end. In this world, once you have reached the top and you've got your prize, they don't know what to do with their life. And this many of them just fall apart. You look at Maradona, probably the greatest footballer of his age. Went into absolute drug abuse. Look at Tiger Woods. You look at all these people. Just 
fell apart. Why? They exercised self-control, but the price was visible and achievable, and when they got it, there was nothing beyond. To sustain it. But God says, you and I are running for a crown that is imperishable. It's not here. It's on the other side. And you run till the last day of your life. Because the kingdom of God is eternal and the crown is imperishable. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. Okay. That's why if you look at infants, our infants are there. Our Tabitha's little, no, little one is over there. Often we place over their crib. No, you put on the crib, you face little things that float around, little birds and fish, paper things which flies. And if you know, the baby's attention is caught by that. That's why if you notice when you bring a baby, the first thing the baby will look is at the fan. None of us look at the fan. We enjoy the fan. But the baby, anything that moves, catches its attention. His will is a slave to his attention. He does not decide what he will look at. He looks at whatever catches his attention. That's why I keep telling you, look at me. Don't let something else catch your attention because you are not a baby. Okay? A baby has no control over his will. He doesn't decide, this is what mommy is taking me to church today, and this is what I will look at. No. His attention is caught by whatever his eye looks at. In other words, in other words, as far as the baby is concerned, control is outside. God says, as far as you are concerned, control should be inside. So the question to you and to me, God says, where is control in our life? In other words, if his or her baby's self-control is consistently developed, he will be always a slave to his desires or passions. So unlike the world where there are running for a perishable crown, we are running for a imperishable crown and we actually make our children lose it. Let me ask you this question. Think about Samson. Does he, know, does, does he not know what is right and wrong? Of course, he was brought up that way. But you know, his will was very weak. He never controlled his appetite. He allowed his appetite to control him. So look at his introduction. When we are introduced, there is a silent part of his life. But when we are introduced to him as different from Elijah is introduced to us, look at Samson. Samson went down to Timnah, serve woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went. First he went down. That's enough. But he went shopping. And he didn't have the money. So he came back home and said, Daddy, I want that. Okay? Don't, don't look at Samson and say, I am not Samson. No, we are all. Depends upon where you are going, up or down. Abraham, when? 
down to Egypt. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and was waylaid by thieves. Samson went down. He saw a Philistine girl. He went up. This is not physical geography. God is not giving us geography. God is talking about spiritual positions people are taking. His parents are sitting up here spiritually who have taught their son the decisions he should be make should align with God's will. He chooses to disregard that, goes to a place where he's not supposed to go. He sees something which he's not supposed to see. He comes back up and says, I went down and I want what I saw. That's how shopping is done. Whether it's for a woman or for stuff. He went up to his, told his father and mother, I have seen a woman in Tim now, the daughters of the Philistines now, therefore get her for me as a wife. He saw and he's ready to marry her. Probably hasn't even talked to her. Verse 3. Yes. His father and mother said, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brother? Or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? He said, what are you thinking about? Samson, what are you thinking about? Why would you want to marry an unbeliever? Why would you? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. So what is controlling him? His appetite is controlling his will. She Pleases me. I know this is the will of God for me. I know. But she pleases me. So I am bending my will to something that is outside and not to something that is inside. She pleases me. Now, this is at much later in his life. Okay, Much later in his life. But from the same chapter... Because he's a young man now, we can see where he went wrong. Or how did probably see everybody sow something into their children which is right or wrong. So what was sown into him that was wrong? Just glimpses of it. The next version from 14. After some, this is Ramba, he killed a lion. And he was coming back after a few days. When he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. Wait a minute. Okay. The lion is dead. There's a beehive inside. There is honey over there. He took the honey with his hands and he ate. The problem is not eating the honey. The problem is he is a Nazarite. Nazarite and he's not tough, supposed to touch it. So what do you see? What do you see is, this is a kid who grew up indulging in eating whatever he liked. Okay. Like, like, I, like when we discuss, not in the church, when we adults discuss, we say, at the common denominator, desire is the same. Desire is the same. Okay. You may have self-control in one area. You may not have self-control in another area. The One woman may pick whatever clothes she likes. Another woman may pick whatever man she likes. But at the, at the core, the desire is the same. It is one that leads to another. He had no control over his food because probably that is the way the parents brought him up. Second thing we notice about Samson, 
he was always very angry when he did not have his way and when he was angry he would use his anger to kill anybody what do you see in a child i want my way and if i don't have my way i'm going to throw a tantrum you see in homes you see in shop shopping malls parents are so embarrassed so they immediately give him what he wants so that they would Samson was a baby who ate what he wanted and threw a tantrum if he didn't get it. And it's just an overgrown child who has no control over his will, who always moves by his appetite. Now he knows the truth of God, but now he's left home and he comes and sees a girl and he says, "I always have what I want. And I will have it. I will have it." and you're not going to stop me food and anger okay which leads to self will they remember how did the devil trap eve with food how did the devil trap cain with anger so god says why are you angry which leads to self will First Samuel chapter fifteen verse twenty three, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about witchcraft and all, and rebellion. Don't worry about that. But stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. This is the idolatry of the self. I will want what I want. I am stubborn. You are not going to have your way. I will have my way with myself. who are you to tell me what to do and what not to do who are you to tell me what to choose and not to choose you do not realize a rebellion and the power of witchcraft comes later because the child is stubborn in the beginning it is the stubbornness which is self will which we have to identify in ourselves and in children and deal with that because if you don't deal with that we're going to be in serious trouble when we grow up because this is the kingdom of god jesus said this is how you pray matthew 6 in this manner therefore pray our father in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it, it is in the kingdom of god is thy name as opposed to my name thy kingdom as opposed to my kingdom and thy will has opposed to my will how am i going to go even one inch ahead when i am stubborn and it is about doing god's things my way and god says if you do my things your way you cannot be accepted and you say okay so another fellow did it god's way okay i'm going to finish him off that's what is called slander we don't kill with hands now we kill with words the reason he did something god's way god accepted him i will do god's thing my way and you don't accept me and i will finish him off you know where it all started it all started because we didn't realize we didn't deal with our will a person with self control 
His actions are determined by his will. And his will is influenced by a renewed mind. Than by the appeal to his senses. Therefore God says surrender or offer your bodies. It's living sacrifice meaning exercise more and more and more control. Renew your mind. You will end up serving God instead of serving self. Otherwise you will end up serving whatever is most attractive and pleasant to these senses. You ask people, in 2014 you ask somebody, what do you want to be? Oh, I want to be a doctor. 2014 by December you ask him, what do you want to be? I think I want to be an engineer. Okay, 2015 you ask, I think I'll be a teacher. 2016, I don't know. Because currently nothing has attracted me. His will is determined always by whatever attracts him. Therefore, God is not able to speak to such people. Because God, when he reveals his will, it is set in concrete. You will die in Jerusalem. In the volume of the book, it is written about me. Oh Lord, I have come to do thy will. That's the kingdom of God. And you know what happens? Saved people live as babies for most of their life simply because God is not able to reveal his will to them because the first part doesn't work. There's no control. There's no control. Control of a mind bent towards God. He goes out and smells popcorn. He cannot resist. His appetite decides what he's going to have. Like I said, The control is outside. And the popcorn has already made a decision for him. Well, God's spirit is inside and he speaks to our spirit and our spirit to the soul, to the mind. But the question is, once we ask who has your mind, today the question is, who has your will? So the question is, how do I train a child or a believer to exercise self-control? Like I said, All who succeeds in the world or in the kingdom were motivated by something bigger than self. Motivated something bigger than self. So they exercised self-control in many, many areas. Remember all the big guys, Sachin or anybody in sports, you go back and check their biography, how they exercise self-discipline and woke up early in the morning and practice and practice and practice because they had something in mind. What is that something outside them? I want to be number one. I want to be the best cricketer. I want to be the best whatever. So there was something bigger than them outside which motivated them. That's what happens in the world. But also remember, you have to understand how it works. Even hatred and anger can be very powerful motivating factors. So motivation itself is not kosher. What motivates you? Ahitophel was motivated by anger and hatred that he put on such a front, continued in the service of David for years, until his conscience was seared to the point he was willing to take the most visible, brutal revenge upon his king as possible. What motivated him was revenge. Okay? So we saw 
in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. How do you train yourself to win the crown? The fruit of the spirit begins with what? Love and ends with self-control. One is the nut, the other one is the bolt, the other is the nut. Jesus said, now listen carefully, as opposed to the world, the people of God. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. For God's people, the most lasting, motivating force is love itself. Because God is love. And you always want to please the one you love. If you don't want to please the one you love, you don't love. If you love somebody, you always want to please that person. So God says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And Galatians 5, 6 says, only one thing matters, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. But what matters? Faith working through love. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. But to please God, faith is needed and faith working through love. Okay? People who don't love, don't need, who don't love with God with all their heart, all their might, all their strength, all the strongest force, don't need much of faith. One of the reasons people in the kingdom of God don't seek for more faith because faith is to please God. But if you don't want to please God and you want to please self, you don't need faith, you need sight. Are you getting it? Faith, the primary purpose of faith is to please God. And who are the ones who want to please God? Those who love God. To love your wife, you don't need faith, you need sight. To love your children, you don't need faith, you need sight. To love God and to please Him, what you need? You need faith. You don't love God, you don't need much faith. Life on earth is sight working through love. You love yourself, you love somebody. Jacob loved Rachel. So he was willing to work 14 years for her. Samson loved himself. So he was willing to pick up any Philistine girl he loved. Okay? You need to realize, we are talking about, yesterday we talked, Sunday we talked about the price. Today we are looking at one of the ways you reach that. Jesus said about this about himself in 8, John 8 and verse 29. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please him. I always do those things which please him. Now, if you ask Jesus, how do you know what are the things to please him? Because he says, I hear. I hear. Scripture says, worship God with understanding. Husbands, live your wives with Understanding. Why does he say understanding? Because Philip Corinthians 7 will say, anyone who wants to get married, the husband will have to please his wife. The wife will have to please the husband. How can you please your wife without understanding who what she is like? How can you please him without understanding what he is like? And how can you please God without understanding what he is like? I always do what he likes. Always do what he pleases. So what is the result of it? He's always with me. Never feel outside this. I don't feel lonely. I may be alone, but I'm never lonely. The problem is people in the kingdom of God are both alone and lonely. 
It's because they don't experience God's presence because they never seek often. What is that, O Lord, that pleases you? And when you sin, what pleases God most is your repentance. Even that pleases him. Scriptures, there is so much joy in heaven when a sinner repents. So even your repentance is tuned towards pleasing God. So you are excited to repent because you know it pleases God. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Our problem, as we understand from human relationships, is true with God. Our silence in our relationship with God is that we don't seek to love him first and please him most. Our affections are swayed. Okay, affection. Two ways in which affections are swayed. Listen to us. Why, Jesus, would you say something like this? In Matthew 10, verse 34 to 38, Lord, why do you say stuff like this? Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. Now he is not telling I have to come to turn India against Pakistan. That's how we think. No, he says, no. I bring a sword in your life, in your home, in the house of the Believer, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. And words, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Lord, what is this? You come into my life and the people of my household become my enemies? He said, yes. Why? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Because this is a question of affections. It's a question of affection. Who will have your affection? It's not that they are your enemy, but they will consider your enemy because till yesterday you loved somebody so much and listened to everything he or she said. But today he has come into your life and you have surrendered and you have to say, sorry, I have to go in a different direction. I love you, but I love him more. That was a shocking statement that Mary, the mother of Jesus, hears the first time Jesus steps into the ministry. Three days later, there is a wedding at Cana. Everything has gone wrong there. Wine has ran out. She comes and says, son, there is no wine over there. And the first thing he tells her, which he had never told her for 30 years, is what has that got to do with me? She must have, mouth must have fallen open. You never talk to me like that. But he's saying, mommy, Ministry has begun. I am at my father's business. This is ministry. Don't ever again interfere because my affections will not be swayed. I have come to do my father's will. I love you, but I love him more. He never preached what he didn't practice. Because it's about my affections. Those are the people who are closest to me on earth. And after that, becomes friends and classmates and colleagues and peers. All this come. First things that take your affections are people. The wise parent, the wise parent, like Hannah the mother in the Bible, even as your child, he or she trains the child's self-control, also directs his or her affection and loyalty first to 
God. I'm absolutely certain. At the age of four or five, whenever Hannah took little Samuel to Shiloh and handed him over to that priest, he didn't throw a tantrum. He didn't throw it at him. He loved his mother. But he has been told, that's where you're going. That's going to be your real parent. That's whom you will serve. Exactly what I saw with Matulika. Exactly. Trained her. I love you. You love me. I'll be always there for you, but you're going. That's your real mother. You haven't seen her, but she's coming. When she comes, you will go. You will go. And I still remember her last words when I handed her over to her mother. She looked at me and when she was getting into the car, she looked at me and asked, you coming? I said, no, honey. Oh, you got meeting in Kathmandu because I had just come back the previous night from Kathmandu. I said, yes, honey. And then it was over. You train your child that her or affection first is to Christ and to Christ alone. Even as you teach that child that the reason for self-control is to serve him and not for any other purpose. Because self-control can be an idol in itself. And we don't have idolatry. We only serve God. We only serve God. This is the first thing. First thing is people. Be very, very careful because if you ever love Anybody more than God. That person will affect your affections towards God. Whether it is a Terah, Abraham's father, who stuck him for years because he was unable to leave his father, or a Jacob. You look through the Bible. And what happens is, it's not that you are not saved. You don't progress in your journey. The second thing is First John chapter 2 and verse 17. The world is passing away, the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That constantly teach the child, don't sacrifice the future on the altar of the present. The world is passing away. The desires are passing away. Don't ever build in him or her a career or an objective in the world as the price you are running for. No, the price you are running for is Christ. And careers can keep on changing as he tells you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you please. Hunger is temporary. It can wait. Right? Is so? Go have a wash and come. If I don't eat now, I'm going to die. Anger is temporary. Cain, why don't you go out, jog and come back? It's temporary. It will pass away. It will pass away. It will pass away. Shut your mouth and go. Anger is temporary. What is permanent is your brother. But what is happens is we in anger, we kill our brother. And You see, time passes by and everywhere I go I see sad, lonely, old people. They have family, they have acquaintances, but they have no friends. Because in the course of life they killed all their friends. 
So the wise parent, the servant of God, practices two things in life. To love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Because it is from please him, faith to faith. And hear more and more so that we please him more and more. In John chapter 5 verse 19 and 20, Jesus says something beautiful. Jesus answered and said to the most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. He says, you want to look at me? I am the greatest imitator you will ever find on earth. I just imitate my... We say in English literature, imitation is the best form of flattery. I am flattered with my young men because most of my young men dress like me. They are sober. Always see them. They are very sober. They don't rise arch like this world does. You look at them, they are very sober. And they were not sober when they came. Imitation is the best form of flattery. Because what does he say over there? I always do what the father does because I am watching him. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. That's the key. You know what? The father has to show me and you more and more things which he does. So that we can imitate those things which he does. Revelation is progressive. And he will show you greater works than this. Did you see that? The pleasure is something not of this world. It is something of hearing from this person you love and imitating that person. Unless we see life in terms of relationship, we will miss our goal. We will miss our prize in eternity. Because today what I want to, was telling you in the beginning in John chapter 14 verse 6 and 7 was that. 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If he had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Why? Because you know me. What is life salvation all about? It is about knowing the father. We saw on Sunday salvation in terms of light and darkness. Today I'm talking to you about salvation in terms of a relationship. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing God through Jesus. I can only know through Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact revelation of who God is. And standing in the way of an incredible eternal relationship with our actual living real father is the affection of people first. And second, the affection of the world. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. See, the problem is, this is an all sound like the law and condemnation if you don't know your objective. The first law, not law, the first principle of marriage given in the Bible is, for this purpose, man shall leave his father and mother, closest relationship he had before that, Cleave to his wife and they shall become one. So what is the goal? Oneness. If oneness is not your goal, leaving will become a burden. 
That's why people leave for honeymoon and when they come back, men back go back to their friends and the women go back to their friends. Why? Because the goal was never there. So if loving God with all your heart, knowing Him, and that is not your goal, all this will sound like crazy. It becomes the law. And scripture says the letter of the law kills while spirit gives life. You cannot do this unless you are doing this for something greater than this, which is of knowing God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does it mean? It does not mean that the love of the Father is not in me. I am saved because he loved me, but I will never be able to experience that love. Never be able to ex- I will not be able to experience the love because this is something that cannot be divided. I went out and I loved the world and I loved the things of the world or I love people more than God and then I come to God and I realize, you know what, I'm so tired. Let me do my daily devotions. Yes, that's exactly what we do. We are not devoted to him. We do our daily devotions. We are devoted to our daily devotions. We are not devoted to the person of God. It's a difference. That's why he's talking to the efficient church in the book of Revelation. You are absolutely perfect in what you are doing. But I got this major issue with you. You don't love me. I cannot find one fault in which you conduct your life or the way you run your Sunday morning service. But I have this major issue with you. I know that. You guys don't love me. You don't love me the way you loved me in the beginning. So standing directly in opposition. To the goal of our salvation, that is to love God with all our heart, all our might, all our strength, is one side relationships and the other side is the world with all its things and attractions. So in James chapter 4 and verse 4, James will turn around and be, he's like a, he's the Nehemiah of the New Testament, okay? John is the gentle Ezra. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? But if you are not consumed by your relationship with God, how does it bother you? How does it bother you? How does it bother you? Does it bother you? No, it doesn't bother you. See, we need to realize when we are not bothered by these things, These are markers. These are markers. So they stand against us knowing God. So remember, relationship is the purpose of salvation. Proverbs 18.24, today, tomorrow is the holiday, so I'm going to take another 15 minutes. Are you okay with it? If you're not okay with it, it doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Because it's okay with my God. If it's okay with him, I'm okay with it. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want to keep that in the back of your mind. The entire purpose of salvation is about a relationship. It's not taking us from hell to heaven. It's about relationship. John 15 and verse 15 towards the end of his ministry, this is what he said. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. 
He said, you know how, when I called you? And where we are now? You know how we have grown in our relationship, boys? I no longer call you followers, believers, disciples, or servants. Call you friends. I call you friends. Let me explain to you. That is the ultimate purpose of salvation. You may have a spouse, a husband or a wife who is not your friend. But you may have a friend who is not your spouse. Friends are open. I'm talking about this friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can't have that many in your life. Friends are open and comfortable with each other. Close friends do not block each other out of certain areas in their life. They don't really hide how they live before their friends. Like if you were to invite somebody to your house, you set your house. But your friend can walk in anytime uninvited and you don't change your house for him. Because he's open to areas of your life which is hidden from the others because he is a friend. Every husband and wife should be friends. But doesn't always happen. But we need a loyal, because in the world you will find lots of friends who are okay with your dirt. In the kingdom of God, we don't need such friends. We need loyal and faithful and righteous friends. Everything in this world is deceiving us from the greatest relationship available to man. Friendship with God. Separation, sanctification, all this has no meaning without relationship. And if you try to separate yourself and sanctify yourself without relating your core with God, all you will become is a Pharisee. All you will become is a Pharisee. You see pictures in the Bible. Pictures which God has given us so that we understand this. In First Samuel chapter 18 verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Something. You see what happened is. David goes out and he kills Goliath. And he cuts Goliath's head off. And he comes back. Before that, Jonathan is the one who was the man of faith. He had alone climbed up the ridge, shaken the Philistine camp, killed quite a lot of people. So from his soul, he saw a kindred soul. They were both men of faith. They had something in common. Both of them loved their God and both of them were willing to live and die for God. So when he saw another man who loved God the way he loved God, scripture says they had a covenant. More than that, he saw David was to become, he should increase 
and Jonathan should increase. So he gives over his royal authority literally, figuratively into David's hands. The thing is that Jonathan who should have been jealous about David is not jealous. Well, Saul is. That was his friend. If you look through David's life, he did not have friends. He had many wives, but he had no friends. He had only one friend, if you look in his life, that was Jonathan. And in their final parting, because Jonathan's father is coming after him in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 41, scripture says, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place towards the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed down three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept together, and David more so. This is a king's son, an ordinary shepherd boy. The love between them was because they were of one soul. He's the king's son, we are an ordinary mortal. But God says, do you love me as David loved Jonathan? He had a premonition in his spirit probably, I will never see Jonathan again. This is our last meeting. So scripture says they both wept. Jonathan is torn between his loyalty to his father, the king, unrighteous man, and his love for his friend. And he's risking his father's anger, coming to meet him in secret. And this is the last meeting. And when they met, they cried. And scripture says they both wept, and David more so. God says, do you think about Jesus as a friend? Then Jonathan dies. When Jonathan dies, this is what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high place. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Said I am. I've been loved by many women. I've got many women who say they love me. But nobody has loved me the way you loved me. In your loyalty, in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. Your friendship was more important to me than anybody else. Therefore, when he's king, first time king over all Israel and Jerusalem is in his authority, one of his first statements in Second Samuel chapter 9, David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, my mortal enemy, who chased me for ten years or more, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You getting it? That's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15. Did I give you 15, 15? Oh, sorry, 15, 13? 15, 13. That's the key. That's the key. Greater love has no one other than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jonathan literally laid down his life for David. Literally. He refused to take David's head. And put down his crown and his life for David. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus is the friend like Jonathan, the king's son, who laid down his life for us. And now he is calling us to be a friend of God. The only way I can be a friend of God is I'm able to love him more than anything else. 
In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, this is what scripture says. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your existence to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may He says, I will circumcise your heart. That your affections for people and your affections for things will all just be nothing in comparison for your love for God. Do you know what happened in Genesis chapter 17? You should know Genesis by now. 1 to 50. What happens in each chapter? You have heard so much. 17 is when God comes to Abraham when he is 99 years old and tells him, circumcise you and all the men in your family. Circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit. That is meaning there is no flesh left. What happens in chapter 18? What happens in chapter 18? Boys and girls of the living God, what happens in Genesis chapter 18? Jesus visits Abraham and has lunch with him. When does God fellowship with somebody? When does? When does God fellowship with somebody? When there is nothing of the world left in you. Till then, God cannot fellowship. Fellowship is friendship. Before that, God spoke to me in different ways. This God, this time God says, no, boy, he's, he's, he's circumcised. Flesh is dead in him. I'm going to visit him. I've been waiting for years for this dude to come to that level. I'm going to fellowship with him. God goes. God eats with him. He's about to leave. And he's about to leave. He says, he doesn't know where I'm going. Where am I going? I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. To judge Sodom and Gomorrah. But how do I go without telling him? So he tells Abraham. And Abraham starts interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. What if God hadn't visited him and talked to him and gone straight to Sodom and Gomorrah? Did you see what friendship did? Three times the Bible. Whenever the Bible repeats something three times, just shall live by faith, just shall live by faith. Be very careful. Three times it is repeated. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Abraham, your? Why did God all do all this? Because these were the descendants of his friend, Abraham. Is there anybody left in Saul's household to whom I can show mercy for whose sake? My friend Jonathan say, you know what? God has got so much mercy for Israel till today because Abraham was his friend. Isaiah 41 verse 8. But you Israel are my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen. The descendants of Abraham, my? Israel is my servant. Abraham is my friend. Abraham is my friend. And James 2.23. And scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called friend of God. As many as who received him, he gave them the power to become become the children of the sons and daughters of God. Sonship is a gift. Friendship has to be earned. 
That's the price. Sonship is a gift. Friendship with God has to be earned. It has to be cultivated. It has to be nurtured. And above all, it has to be protected. And everything that happens in our life today, every relationship and every other thing is tuned to either take us closer to God or further away from God. And God says, make your decisions likewise. You are free. You are free before you are born again. Free to choose. You are even more free after you are born again. I said before you, life and death, blessing and curses. Choose. Choose. And what is your life? God or Israel. Israel, God is your life. Did he say that? God is your life. Choose life. Every decision we make, like we say, is either for a relationship with God or it takes you and me away from God. Every, nothing is neutral. Nothing is neutral. Everything is connected with a relationship because salvation is about a relationship. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you, Lord. We, do, we don't have the courage to say now, Jesus is our friend. We say you are our savior. We say you are our shepherd. We say you are Lord. We, we say we you are our master. We say you are our light. We say all this, Father, but only you can say. Abraham did not say God is my friend. God said Abraham is my friend. We wait for that day when we can hear from you calling us by name and say that you are my friend. Help us to see the end of our salvation. To be the friend of Jesus. The friend of God. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And we cannot go to the Father. The destination is you. We are not looking for a place. We are not looking for a mansion. We are not even looking for that city. Though it's all there. Help us to see beyond that. You are what we are looking for. And longing for a Lord. You are that price. Help us. To bend our will. To your will. Thank you, Father. We just love you. You brought us safely. We know you will take us home safely. Plead the blood of Jesus over your church here, everywhere. All our churches, all our people, especially in India. As the season begins for the next seven, eight days, I pray your people stay under the blood, covered, protected, preserved. Every activity of the enemy. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.